Alrighty, everyone, we're back. Welcome to our third part of our Q&A series. Um, as the Q&A series evolves, it's gonna get less and less structured. So we had some fairly structured uh, initial Q&A sessions um, because I got a huge group of like 40 odd questions and I could look through them and kind of go, oh, these are kind of similar. I'll put them in together and these are kind of similar. But as we go on, the similarities kind of run out. Um, and so um, you might find this is a little bit more all over the place and, and that continues as a theme for the, the Q&A as we continue to go. Hopefully these are still helpful um, questions for you to look at. Uh, I've always been putting in the in the show notes timestamps as well. So if you're ever like, I don't care, I've heard Phil talk about that or I know what I think about that, but I really want to know that question. You can look at the notes in the, in the podcast or on the YouTube um, and you should be able to um, find the specific question that you want to hear what um, I think about that. Um, whatever your reason is for wanting to hear what I think about something. Um, before we get started, I'll just do my usual, remind you of the Deconstruction Network, um, a completely free resource to help you connect with other people that are going through deconstruction in your local area. We're fast approaching 4,000 people on that network and I'm really excited about that. I'm constantly getting messages from people who have met someone in their local area that they can connect with, that they can process with, that they can feel that they have a common journey with. Um, even maybe they're going in different directions, getting finding themselves coming to different places, maybe One's becoming a progressive Christian, one's becoming an atheist. Um, whatever the direction, the, the, the destination, um, if there is one, um, the, the, the place that we're coming from is something that can be such a huge bond. Someone that understands what it is to come out of a conventional faith and experience all that comes with that. Maybe rejection of family and friends or fear of um, consequences if you're wrong and hell and all sorts of different things that we've talked about many times. Having someone that you can laugh with and cry with and just connect with. Um, in real life um, can be such a huge thing. We all know the power of that after the pandemic, if we're after the pandemic. Um, so yeah, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource um, and a great way to maybe find some people in your local area you can connect with. Rebuilding community is such a um, key part of uh, recovery and growth for so many people. Um, as well as that, if you want a great online community and you'd like to support what I'm doing, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Either one works. Um, and you can support what I'm doing. I do everything for free, the podcast, the resources, talking with people for hours on end, helping them process their journey. Um, I do different Zooms and chats and different things like that. Um, and uh, as a thank you for your support, um, to help me keep everything free, to help me pay my bills um, as I do so. Um, you get access to a wonderful online community. We have great chats all day, every day about everything and anything from deconstruction to politics, to our pets, to family dynamics, whatever it is, we have great conversations. And we also do regular audio chats and Zooms as well together. And so it'd be great to see you in there if you would like to be a, a part of that. Um, again, that's patreon.com slash or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, all right, let's dive into some of these questions we have and uh, we'll see where they take us. Um, I'm going to try and get through as many as I can, but you know me, I like to ramble on these. Um, hopefully my ramblings, they aren't just because I like to say the same thing 10 times over and over, but I'm trying to kind of give you as broad a context to these um, questions as possible. That You know, when someone asks me a question, there's a context to that for them um, and it's a very specific question to them. But 
that same question might be rattling around in someone else's head for different reasons. They might also have different ways of exploring that or navigating that. So the way I would chat with you one-on-one -on, -one on Instagram might be a lot different than the try kind of way I'm trying to flesh out these questions on a podcast um, because I'm trying to help all sorts of different people that are going to react to these things in all sorts of different ways. Uh, and so I hope you um, could extend to me some uh, some grace over that, if I can use a Christian word, um, that, uh, yeah, I'm trying to kind of hit everything from a, a few different angles. But the first question we've got is an interesting one, and I get it a lot. Um, and people ask, is deconstruction just an inevitable slow road to becoming an atheist? Um, and to that, I'd say, yeah, sometimes, but also no, it could be a really fast road to becoming an atheist. Or you might become a Hindu or a Buddhist or um, whatever, you name it, progressive Christian. You might stay a Christian, but you might change in how you see things. You might go into a mainline Christian uh, church. You, um, yeah, you may become uh, spiritual, but not religious. You might go into some new age stuff. You might go into um, some Wicca stuff and tarot and different things like that. This is, I've said it a million times, the destination of deconstruction is going to be unique to every single person. We're all on a unique journey with our own unique stories, with our own unique makeups. Who you are is a different person than who I am. Your experience of your faith um, has been different from my experience of faith. We might have a lot of commonality, right? You might hear me talking on a podcast or something and be like, oh my gosh, Phil gets it. But the truth is, while I get it generally, I don't know what it's like to be you going through that situation. And I don't know how you will handle that and what peace and question and answers you will find to the questions and the turmoil in your life. And so for many people, many, many people, the answer to the questions that are bubbling up within them, the, 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 the peace to the turmoil that has occurred around them and within them is to move towards something like atheism or agnosticism um, and step away from maybe a, a more spiritual position. Um, and yet for many people, it isn't. For many people, uh, they stay within the Christian faith. They desperately want to hold on to their love of Jesus, their relationship with God, um, their belief in uh, the, the message and the, and the power of Jesus. And, and however they might word that, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. They want to hold on to that, but they want to evolve in that. They want to see it become more inclusive, more loving, more compassionate. They want it to um, be more enemy loving. Um, it want, they want it to be less in and out. And so it's going to evolve and change. I think the one thing we can say about the destination of people that deconstruct is that it isn't where they started. Generally speaking, that's impossible if you deconstruct. A lot of people will say, oh, I deconstructed and I reconstructed back into the same thing. If that's the case, you haven't deconstructed. That's not what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is to change your core values of your faith. Um, and so you can't do that. Um, and then uh, well, people just don't go back to believing something they believed before. They, they evolve, they grow, they might, they might evolve again and believe something that's similar or compatible, but it's not going to be the same thing. People don't uh, radically alter their beliefs back and forth between two oscillating uh, beliefs. That's, that's not how uh, the, the human mind works. Um, and so generally speaking, we can say it's going to be different, but we can't say what difference it will be. That's going to be really unique to the individual. Um, and it's also, this is the key, probably not a destination. 
it's probably not the final step. I talked about this in, on Instagram of, uh, last week, I think, and I talked about how one of the big errors in Christianity, in uh, Islam, in Judaism, in whatever um, you know, kind of uh, static conventional faith you might find is that it's static. They believe they've found the answer. This is the right answer. We're here. We've got it. We're in. Everyone else is out. Whatever that looks like, the language, of course, within Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all these different faiths, you can have some more progressive and, and um, uh, evolved uh, ways of seeing things. So I don't think I'm writing off those religions. I'm just saying, generally speaking, part of being a part of those religions can often be that you think you've arrived. You have found a destination. Um, but of course, we've found in time that that wasn't true. And we have departed again. We've moved on. And so it can be really helpful for us to remind ourselves of that. Um, it's very easy as we deconstruct to fall into the idea that we have now arrived. Well, now I've proven Christianity or, or this conventional form of Christianity is wrong and I'm finally the right kind of Christian or I'm finally an atheist or agnostic or whatever it might be. Um, I've finally arrived. Um, that might be true in a sense, but generally speaking, you're going to keep growing. Even if you just keep growing within the framework of what you found, um, try not to be fundamental in black and white. Try not to um, fall into this same pitfall that was within you as a conventional Christian. You know, don't be uh, this arrogant black and white dualistic, I have arrived guy or girl or whatever. Um, you know, don't be that person because really you've probably not evolved much. You've changed what you believe, but your core framework of how you interact with the world, this black and white, in, out, right, wrong, is still there. And that leads to a whole host of different problems. And I can guarantee in time, you'll either hit some very big brick walls with that attitude and, and approach, or you're going to find a very rude awakening where you have to grow up and change and evolve. Um, and so try and head that one off at the pass. But yeah, common, common thing for many people is that deconstruction does lead them to atheism. People, um, generally speaking, ask this because they're terrified of atheism, right? Atheism is the big bad boy in the, in the church. It's, it's the ultimate cardinal sin to believe that there is no God. And for good reason, right? If you're a Christian and you believe that believing in God is what saves you, uh, not believing in God doesn't sound great on paper, right? Um, but it is what it is. And the truth is you're not going to become an atheist without believing that atheism is right for you, that atheism is the 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 truth that you identify most with, that, that makes the most sense to you, that, that fits your worldview and, and helps you orient in this world the best. Um, and so it's not that you, without a choice, become atheist, but in another sense it is, right? We don't really have much choice in any of this, right? We didn't choose to start our deconstruction, it just started to unravel. Um, but you're so interwoven in this process, you know, you're not going to um, uh, choose something that you don't want to do is I guess how I'm wanting to say that, you know, it's, it's going to be this natural progression if you do go down that path. And I will say, uh, we don't have hard data on this, but I think generally speaking, anecdotally from talking with thousands of different people and a few different studies I've seen, it's very common for most people that step out of uh, conventional Christianity to hold some kind of spirituality. There's been a few studies out there that throw around numbers. I think one is about 73% and another one is about 78% um, of people held some form of spirituality after they left their conventional faith. Um, and so that's a lot of people, you know, that's, um, you know, seven out of 10 people, eight out of 10 almost. 
um, that still have some kind of spirituality. Now, they maybe are very agnostic. They maybe don't, I'm not saying they're passionate, born again believers or however you might word it. Um, you know, and I'm sure some people step out of conventional Christianity and stay within Christianity. Um, but what I'm saying is people that completely throw every single experience they ever had in their life out, that, that reject any kind of uh, thing that's going on beyond their own physical materiality that's probably not the most common position actually um and so um a lot of people fear that but it's while it's definitely on the table nothing gets taken off the table in deconstruction if you're honest um about your process and if you are honestly questioning and pursuing what you believe to be true that's going to have to be on the table is something you look at you question you evaluate um, and it might be that that stands up to your questioning and other things don't it might also be that questioning your atheism uh, questioning atheism doesn't stand up for you and you feel that there's a better option out there. Maybe you go into some sort of um, Eastern uh, spirituality. A lot of people are drawn to Taoism or Buddhism or, um, or Zen or uh, Hindu kind of uh, beliefs and ideas. You know, there's so many different options out there that you are going to have to engage with at some point as you deconstruct um, if you start questioning. That's just the nature of it. You follow your questions, you see where it takes you. And so does it always lead to atheism? Absolutely not. But can it? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, no, there's nothing on the table of what it can end to. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's just... <laughs> It's just the way it is. It's the way that deconstruction works. Um, so I'll leave it there. I don't want to ramble on about it, but um, hopefully that answers uh, some of the concepts of deconstruction and the process. And um, I've answered that a bit more fully than just saying yes or no, um, because it isn't a yes or no answer really in, in a sense, um, because certainly not everyone ends up being atheist that deconstructs. Another question that's come up a lot, and, and a lot of people message me about this a lot, um, I said a lot, a lot there, eh? um, navigating guilt and shame around the topic of sex. You know, a lot of people have, um, I just keep thinking about how, how much I'm saying a lot. I don't know if you guys are picking up on that or not. You know, when you get in your own head. Um, so many people um, have, find as they deconstruct that sex is a major topic for them. Now, sex is a major part of life, right? I mean, we are hardwired as biological beings to want to procreate, to want to have sex, to want to connect with uh, people that we love and have um, beautiful, intimate experiences with them. Um, but we certainly have some hang-ups around it if we grew up in conventional Christianity. A lot of conventional Christianity has a lot of hang-ups around sex. Um, you know, there is uh, taboos about, um, you know, having sex before marriage. There's taboos about, gosh, kissing before marriage and uh, all sorts of different stuff. Someone just came up on my Instagram the other day because I follow... Um, I think some sort of purity culture uh, hashtag or something. And they were talking about how their hard rule is that they allow like anything under a one second kiss before their marriage, but anything more than that is really dangerous. And of course it was some random woman that got married, like, you know, when she was like 17 and a half, you know, to some random youth pastor or something and has no experience at all in real world, you know, sexual uh, and relational dynamics and now is an expert 
you know, telling you how to be in a relationship. But, you know, they're sitting there going, you shouldn't even kiss for more than one second until you're married. That's the line because any kiss that lasts longer than a second is a slippery slope. And before you know it, you'll be another teenage um, pregnancy and, you know, you'll have eight STDs and the person will leave you because they've now tried the milk from the cow and who would want milk from the cow that's already been milked? That's how cows work, whatever. Um, you know, um, these these things are out there and you know as farcical and ridiculous as they sound today you know we look at it and we see the the youth pastor passing around a rose and going who wants this old battered crappy rose compared to this brand new rose or chewing gum and spitting it out and passing it on and saying who wants to chew it next you know these awful and really redundant and stupid analogies that we can see for what they are today that carries weight when you're an impressionable 14 year old and you believe these people have all the answers and all your peers seem to agree and it gets into you. It becomes your inner voice. Your inner voice starts to say, well, if you kiss for more than one second, you're just uh, um, a total uh, whatever, you know, har harlot, you know, you, you, you aren't pure, you aren't um, honoring God, you're not honoring God with your body, you're, you're betraying your future spouse you know all these kind of languages stick you know they, they say that your um your parents become your inner voice right and in a, in a very real sense your pastor your youth pastors your youth leaders um they become your inner voice and so it's very easy for us to intellectually start disconnecting from the concept of sex being a bad thing unless it's in this tiny little window um, that's fine for us intellectually. We can look at the Bible contextually and go, oh my gosh, these people are in the Bronze Age and we're trying to decide, um, you know, how sex should be today based on how they obeyed their practices. God, they, they literally just bought women to marry. That's how marriage worked at that time. Of course, we shouldn't use that as a, a metric, right? So we've got some, um, a bit more context that we're applying to these uh, situations. We're think, thinking about these things a little bit more. So we can intellectually navigate that. But it doesn't change the fact that if you uh, used to masturbate often as a, as a Christian uh, growing up and, and you felt that pang of deep shame and guilt, you know, uh, once you were past the exciting hormone driven moment and you, you ejaculate or you come or whatever, um, you feel that wave of guilt and shame and God must be so disappointed in me. And how could I let him down so much? How do I give into my passions all the time? I'm the worst. I'm such a failure. Well, guess what happens once you intellectually deal with that stuff and then you masturbate you still have that, that natural um, neuropathway that goes ejaculation, uh, you know, orgasming. That means you now go feel shame and guilt and uh, regret and all these different things. That neuropathway is burned in. That's going to happen whether you like it or not initially. That needs to be reprogrammed, right? And so these kind of things happen all the time. I talk to couples that um, aren't Christian anymore at all, or maybe they're Christian, but they completely let go of any kind of notion of um, sexual, uh, you know, uh, weird purity culture stuff. And some of them say like, look, we have sex, we're married and we have sex. And yet afterwards, sometimes we still feel, or maybe one of them still feels a lot of shame and, uh, you know, regret and guilt. Um, and that's 
natural. That's because they've uh, gone and orgasmed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times growing up as a, a Christian girl or boy. Um, and they've been told that to do so is evil and sinful and God's so disappointed in you. Of course, their body's response to having an orgasm is to feel guilt and shame and regret. Okay, so please, please, please hear me that this is not, you're not some sort of weird freak. You're not broken. This is really natural and it sucks and it's shit and it's, and it's messed up, but it's really normal. Okay. Um, if you're not experiencing this power to you, amazing, you know, it's not, it's not that black and white that everyone will experience sometimes. Some people do just navigate through this, um, fairly easily. Um, but if you are navigating through this, there's a few things that I would recommend. First, I would recommend that you go and connect with people that are talking about this. You know, there's some great people out there. Um, Lauren Scott, uh, Rachel Alba, uh, Brenda uh, got from God is Grey. Um, you know, there's amazing accounts out there um, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, there's some great podcasts. Um, there's really wonderful stuff out there. I've done podcasts with all of those people and we've talked about sex and sexuality. Um, you can get counseling or coaching from um, sex positive um, embodiment coaches. There's so many people that, that do this as well. Lauren Scott and Rachel Alba that I mentioned. Um, you've got Jamie Lee Finch does coaching. Um, I'm trying to think there's so many um, people that I, I can picture their Instagram kind of posts or photos, but I can't think of the, the names off the top of my head. So please forgive me if I'm, I'm forgetting you because there, there are many, many out there. But, you know, go check out some of these hashtags. Go check out um, Purity Culture Dropout or um, Sex Positivity and, and things like that and try and find some of these coaches. I Go listen to some of the podcasts I've done with some of them. Um, I think Rachel Alba has her own podcast. God is Grey has her own podcast and YouTube t series. Go watch some of their stuff. A lot of it is to normalize this, to be to be exposed to talking about these kind of things and, um, and navigating them. But maybe it is something you want to look at to have a coach or a therapist um, to work with, because sometimes it is that you just need to work this stuff through. You need to process it with someone that's safe. You need to um, have an expert maybe give you some, some uh, different practices that you can apply and things like that. And so check that out for sure. Uh, a couple of books, um, Linda Clay Klein, um, Linda K. Klein, sorry, I say Clay. Linda K. Klein, uh, Pure, uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber, Shameless, um, Tina Schirmer-Sellers is a great person as well for um, sex positivity and, and different stuff like that. Um, her book, Sex, God and the Conservative Church is really helpful. A lot of these help um, us process these things um, through reading on a page. They maybe help us kind of like, art they articulate what we're feeling, what we're going through. They maybe give some helpful steps. I know Tina's book gives some really helpful um, practices to, to apply to kind of walk through this stuff. And a lot of them give you the history of this and the intellectual kind of side of it and stuff. And some of you are navigating that um, and that might be really helpful for you. I'm not an expert in this right? Um, and so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in how to navigate these things and walk through them. But what I will say is there is hope um, that you're definitely not broken, that it is normal. And there, there's many ways to start healing that in you and to help you move forward uh, in a way that you can enjoy having a sexual ethic that means uh, that makes sense to you and a sexual practice that is enjoyable, that is fun, that is safe, you know, all the good stuff, healthy for you. And that's what's important, really. Um, and so do check out some of those people, check out some of those books, maybe look at getting some therapy or coaching, but you've got this, you really do, um, you know, 
it, it, it's going to work uh, for you. And, and there's many complexities in this, you know, there's different dynamics, you know, maybe your partner isn't going through deconstruction and maybe you want to explore more and they don't. And, and so there's lots of complexities. I can't even begin to get into all the different nuances of this. Um, and so, again, I would recommend reaching out to some of these people for, for stuff like that. Um, I know a couple of people on my Patreon have uh, worked directly with uh, Rachel Alba. I highly recommend um, her. She's a great friend, an amazing person. And so um, reach out to her if you would like to do some actual one-on-one um, -on -one kind of coaching therapy with her. She's got great practices. She's got great insights in how to move forward. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd recommend her. But all, all the people I've mentioned are, are fantastic people. All right, let's keep moving um, because I'm just going to ramble forever on each question otherwise. Um, another question that I get, um, this is kind of funny, but um, I like the wording of it, so I'm going to read it uh, to you directly. But it's, I want to burn the church to the ground. Is that wrong? Um, and uh, we talked about anger in one of the prior Q&As. And, uh, you know, anger is not wrong. Anger is what it is. You feel angry. Um, any emotion you feel is natural, is healthy, is important. Um, now, to be lost in an emotion for decades and, you know, forever and, and for it to affect how you function in this world well and, and you can't live healthily, you know, you're, um, you know, completely decapacitated. Obviously, that's, um, you know, not great. So, of course, if you're feeling so angry that you've stopped functioning in the world and you've shut down completely, definitely that's one to really focus on and, and try and work through. Um, but any level of emotion, whether it's huge or small, I think, generally speaking, the best advice you could ever have for working through or, or for, for, um, uh, for what emotions are there for is they are there to tell us what's happening to us, what's going on, right? If I feel angry, there's a reason. Something's happened and my, my body is telling me, Phil, you're not okay with this. You're upset. There's something wrong with this. You need to process it. You need to pay attention. You maybe need to change things. You maybe need to change yourself. There's so many different dynamics there. And so if you're burning with rage at the church, if you're angry at the church, the first thing I would say is stop and listen. Why are you burning with rage? Why are you angry? What is that teaching you? Is it telling you, hey, there's something here that I can't live with. It needs to change. I want it to change. Now, that might be some directional stuff. It might be telling you, hey, start a nonprofit that deals with this or start an Instagram post that starts calling this stuff out. You maybe, you know, something like Do Better Church is a great example of anger um, that is funneled and, and, and given direction in a really healthy and helpful way. Um, and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with anger impl implicitly at all. I think that's a message that a lot of Christians have been given. You know, oh, you're just an angry person or you're just bitter or whatever. Those kind of things are, are really not helpful. Um, like I said, you can be consumed with anger in a way that harms you. Um, and so I'm, I'm not talking about that. If that's to that degree, I would say um, it might be quite hard for you to look at that anger and process it. You might want to get therapy and have someone work with you with that anger and how to process it in a way, way that helps you and is healthy. Um, but generally speaking, observe the, the, the emotion you're feeling. Sit with it. Ask yourself questions about it. You know, why do I feel this way? Why is this so important to me? Do um, does that need to change? Can it change? You know, here's the other thing. You might be feeling super angry about the church and going, I need it to change. But, you know, you can start the best Instagram account. You can start a nonprofit that starts working with people that are coming out of church or, or highlighting problems in the church. But you know what you're not going to change? The church globally, right? There's still going to be churches that hurt people, that harm people. Um, and that's life, unfortunately, for certainly the near future, right? And so maybe there's something in that as well where you have to 
navigate that and process that. Maybe you're angry at the lack of power you have. Maybe you're angry at the power dynamics where this church is so powerful and hurts people, but it's so powerful it can't be taken down. And actually you are just a small person in a big pond, you know, a small fish in this huge ocean. Um, and the church is swimming around as a pack of sharks and you as a small fish feel, I can't do anything about this. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. I'm so mad that so many people are being hurt and so much harmful uh, beliefs are being thrown out that people are taught that they're uh, filthy, rotten sinners, that they're taught that they shouldn't have sex or should be shamed for having sexual feelings or whatever different things that you get upset about. Um, and yet actually there's almost an anger at yourself because you can't do anything. You're, you're powerless in a sense. Now that's not meant to beat you up and say you're powerless. Um, you know, you aren't powerless. We all have an autonomy and we are, all can make change. We've seen a lot of things um, in even just the deconstruction uh, community where we have helped make change. We've called out different um, movements and, and things have happened there. You know, we've um, we've called out our own, even with um, in the last uh, week, I don't know if you saw, there was a big hoo-ha about, um, I, I won't bother going into names and stuff and I wouldn't uh, overly focus on it, um, but someone came out with um, some new material, but they had in the past been part of uh, a system that had harmed people. Um, and you know, it was maybe great material even, but they weren't the person to release that material. And they found that out and they thought, uh, they got a lot of feedback from different people that were quite upset. And they took it on board and said, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to release this. That's not the place. And so even in that, you know, we, our voice matters. I think the beautiful thing about that, one of the beautiful things, there's many beautiful things and there were many frustrating and upsetting things. And, and you know, I don't want to dismiss that, um, that there was a lot of people hurt in that process. But one of the beautiful things was it showed us that our voice matters. You know, when we stand up and say, hey, this isn't okay. And maybe someone that has power and privilege um, I can speak up as someone that maybe doesn't have that same power and privilege and something can change. And so, you know, I don't mean to say that you have no power, but I'm saying that maybe that's some of what the anger is rooted in sometimes feeling powerless. You know, sometimes the anger um, that we have at something else is almost some other projected anger as well. It's some anger that we have at ourselves or something else even. Um, and so my point being, if you're deeply angry with the church, that's good. That's okay. That's healthy. Gosh, there's so many reasons to be angry with the church. So many reasons to want the church to burn down. Now, in saying that, you know, these broad strokes we can use, I'm sure there's some great churches out there. I'm sure there's churches that are doing wonderful, beautiful things. I know that in the UK, um, you know, our government hasn't been the most helpful in um, social areas of welfare and different things like that. And so we've gone, um, it skyrocketed the amount of people in our country that have to rely on food banks to survive, which is really heartbreaking and, and quite terrible given that that was a very small issue just 10, 15 years ago. And now it's a very, very big issue. There's over a million people, uh, several million, I think at this point that, that rely on getting um, food free um, from charities uh, to be able to, to get through the week. Um, and yet the beauty of that system that is revealed is, is, you know, there's nothing good about needing that system. But one of the things that is quite beautiful is it's the churches that are actually putting on that, you know, without churches in this country, maybe that wouldn't be viable or maybe we'd all still make that difference because we 
believe that helping people is important. You know, I'm not saying that it, we wouldn't do it, but the point is there's some churches out there doing some great things. I think feeding people that can't feed their families is really important and a very applaudable thing. Um, and so not every church is evil and not every person in the church certainly is, is you know, this um, awful person. But in broad strokes, I definitely can agree that looking across the broad institution of church, I can at times think, God, fucking burn this whole thing down. It's a mess. It's so corrupt. The institutional power ruins everything. Even the good people in these systems end up being a participant in really toxic and unhelpful things. We just need to destroy it and start from scratch, whatever that looks like, right? Um, so I agree that that's not unhealthy. It's not wrong. It's natural. It's, it's, it's part of life. Um, I think it may even be that it's uh, pushing you in a certain direction to make changes yourself right? Um, and so that's a beautiful thing as well. You, you, you might be that you are needing to push for church to change, push for uh, it to be harder for churches to harm people, right? Push for your local government to make some regulations that impact how churches do things. That's important, right? Um, I know a lot of people have made um, a lot of pushes in, uh, in the West for churches to have certain things implied as, as government regulated things. They need to have certain things um, regarding the area of um, sexual abuse within the church. And so I know in, um, in uh, I can't remember which country it was, I'm sorry, but somewhere in Western Europe, they made it a law that any pastor who meets with people in his office must have a window into his office. Um, and I know many churches in the UK have this and many other churches throughout Europe have this. I think it's even becoming more common in, in the US. And so they must be viewable through the window at any time they're doing one-on-one -on -one meetings with people. Now, what's interesting is that has directly correlated to a decrease in sexual abuse in the church. Um, and so the fact that people put pressure on the government and said, look, there's data here that says this would make a difference. And then the government puts pressure on churches and says, hey, you wanna do one-on-ones? That's good, maybe you can help some people, but you need to be accountable. And by holding them accountable and by forcing the church's hands, things got better. Um, now, it's not as simple as that, you know, not everything can be solved by that. But my point being, angry people putting pressure on the church through government, through social media, through different things, they make a difference at times. And, and while that might seem like a small difference, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's a fucking huge difference when, you know, you think about all those lives that may be harmed through sexual abuse in the church. You know, that's a lot of people being harmed in significant ways that have been avoided because of that one simple regulation that's been pushed on churches in certain areas. Um, and so my point being that anger is a good thing. Um, any emotion you have is healthy and good if you're paying attention. When you're not paying attention, when you allow it just to destroy you and, and to wash over you and not allow it to inform you of what's going on within, inform you on what you need to be doing moving forward, that's when it can be um, quite harmful and, and unhealthy. So it's not a black and white of is wanting the church to burn to the ground good or bad or right or wrong. I don't think it's either in a sense. I think it's it's a fairly natural and kind of uh, neutral response. It's just what most people would respond with if they were faced with the situation you were faced with. Um, the question is, how are you going to respond to that anger? How are you gonna navigate that anger? You might need to get therapy, you might need to process. Maybe your body is telling you, hey, you need to slow down. This was a big thing for you and you need to process it. 
don't just brush past it and move on because the truth is burning the church to the ground might not help. You need to actually do some work here, right? You need to, you need to heal. You need to process some of these things that happen to you. Um, you know, religious trauma and different things like that need to be processed. And so all of that rambling answer to say, listen, listen to your emotions, listen to that anger, listen to whatever it is that's within you. Um, and I think that's a, a key to, to being, uh, a, a healthy human in general in every area, right? Your joy, your anger, your fear, your excitement, your frustration, your whatever. Listen to those emotions. Let them guide you. Let them teach you about yourself and your situations and help you make decisions moving forward. Um, you know, that's part of something that maybe the church wasn't so great at allowing us to be led by our emotions. Um, you know, a lot of people would throw around words like, you know, phrases like, well, the heart is deceitful, you know, and all these different things. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't trust our emotions. But what's funny is we shouldn't trust our intellect or, you know, like we should basically shouldn't trust ourselves. And, and this is part of learning to trust yourself to um, to n know that you know what's best for you on some deep uh, physiological level, your body knows uh, what's best for you and, and you should be listening to your body. Um, someone else asked, which is really interesting, um, they asked, what would a healthy church look like? And I thought this is a really interesting question. I had to kind of stop and think about it. So one of the things I do, um, which, you know, it's not a massively public thing because it's not such a big area of what I, what I do. I try and focus on people that um, are navigating deconstruction. But in part of that, what happens often is pastors or leadership teams come to me and say, hey, we're deconstructing and we are trying to figure out, um, does that mean we just close the doors and walk away? Or, you know, we feel there's some level of um, responsibility and obligation we have to people that are coming to us um, and wanting community and wanting to grow and wanting to develop. Um, is there something that we can do that looks like a evolution of church that maybe church could grow, could change, could be better, um, right? We mentioned do better church, right? It's in the name, do better church, not die church die, um, which, you know, could be a rallying cry as well uh, for some. I, I, I'm not even saying that's necessarily a bad thing to, to want. Um, but, you know, many people want the church to do better. They don't want to disappear the church. They don't want to get rid of Christianity. They just want a healthier, more evolved church, maybe a church that they feel looks more Christ-like um, than maybe what it looks like right now, maybe more Pharisee-like, right? Um, and so I think absolutely, you know, the people I talk with day in, day out, I work with certain leadership teams sometimes and, and helping them um, navigate these issues and trying to shape how church could look like for them. And that's going to be unique to the people, right? So, you know, it's going to be very different if the pastor is deconstructing and moves into something like atheism or, uh, you know, starts picking up uh, Buddhism and Taoism or something like that. They're going to find it harder to bring a church with them than a church pastor that deconstructs and becomes a progressive Christian, right? Uh, as much as moving from conventional Christianity to progressive Christianity is hard to do and, and help people go on that journey, it's really hard to help people that are conventional Christians become Buddhist, right? Or whatever, um, uh, or atheist, right? That's a harder one to sell. Can we have a church that's an atheist church? Well, there are things like atheist churches, but generally it didn't go Christian church turned into an atheist church. Usually someone starts an atheist church. 
Um, and so it's, it's going to be dependent a lot on the leaders and the people that are within that church and have power to change things, power to shape things, um, whether church can look healthy and, and grow and develop. You know, my, my wife and I were heavily involved in my community here. We're heavily involved in a church locally here. And we really believed that it could be uh, better could grow, could evolve, could look more healthy. It did look amazing in so many different ways and we did see amazing change. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, uh, there was enough leaders in that church that didn't want to move in that direction and actually decided we want to go back to something that's a bit more conventional, a bit more um, safe and certain. We don't like a lot of the uncertainty. We don't like a lot of the ambiguity. We don't like that there's many people, uh, you know, putting forward ideas that have very, very different ideas that make us feel uncomfortable. We, we'd much rather people that we understand and know believe something quite similar and can teach us something in, in the wheelhouse we're comfortable with. We'd rather they spoke on a Sunday, you know, we'd rather uh, do a bit more of that. If we did a Q&A, one of the things we'd started, which was beautiful, was it, uh, something called Q&A, but it was very different um, where anyone in the room could grab the mic and ask a question, but then anyone in the room could grab a mic and give an answer or some thoughts to that question. And it would just pass around. And the answers were so interesting and so different and so unique. And it was completely different to anything I'd ever experienced where normally we handpick one or two people to give the answers because we know that their answers are quote unquote right and we can feel safe with that. Um, safety went out the window when you had people going, oh, I don't really know why I believe that. I've never thought about that, but maybe this. And it's like completely heretical or, you know, uh, completely different to what the, the position of the church is or, you know, what evangelical Christianity's statement of faith is or whatever it might be. Um, and so we did things like that and that was beautiful. And so I think there's a lot of room for churches to become more inclusive. You know, that you get multi-faith churches now where um, they, yes, center around, generally speaking, uh, some form of Christian faith, but they welcome anyone of any faith into the, the, the group and to be a part of the group and to be input into the group. Um, you know, you get all kinds of uh, different models. You get models that aren't um, so much just sitting in rows and facing one pastor that's going to tell you what to do and what to say, but instead they sit in circles and they discuss and they share and they, um, you know, they have a much more intimate vibe. Of course, those kind of things are much harder to do with a church of 500 people than a church of 10 people, you know? So again, this is going to be very different based on individual churches, but can a healthy church exist? I think in many ways it can. I think a lot of people are looking for a church. You know, if we take to the side maybe some of the more toxic elements, there's some very toxic elements in a lot of the conventional church. No one's disputing that. Um, there's a lot of great work that the conventional church does. I mentioned things like food banks, but uh, you guys know I mention this all the time. Um, the analogy of uh, working with prisoners or maybe working with alcoholics or people that have um, other addictions like narcotics or, or whatever. Um, something like church provides stability and certainty um, and, uh, and safety. And a lot of people come from very, very hard backgrounds where they didn't have any of those things. You know, they were very unsafe, uncertain, unstable. Um, and they're looking for something to create a bit of stability for them, to give them a bit of community, to help them feel like they belong, to help them feel safe and certain, to give them a support structure. You know, if you come out of prison, you might be much more um, helped by a conventional Christian church than a progressive one. And there's actually data that, that bears up on that as well. Um, and so, you know, if you are an alcoholic, maybe you would do much better in that kind of environment than uh, in, in another one. I, you know, I, I think that 
we are we can be very black and white on what's right and wrong but the truth is as we grow and develop different things are right for different people you know i use the example of just growing up you know uh, if you're in first grade and you finish that year what's going to be right for you well not first grade unless you didn't learn quite a few of the lessons what's right for you is second grade uh, if you did incredible, what's right for you might be third grade. But you know what's probably not right for you? University, right? Or dropping out of school. Probably not the right choices. Going back to kindergarten, not the right choice. You know, there, there's, a, there's a general progression in life. And some people, the progression for them, even though we might see it as really unhelpful, we might see it as toxic. And yes, even some of, some of the components, because nothing's black and white, some of the components might really be harmful that, for them. And those are the things that we need to be calling the church to change. A lot of what the church offers might be the best thing in the world for that person. And they might not be able to grow up without going through that stage of having some stability and certainty and community and safety and different things like that. And so, um, you know, I think a healthy church looks like the best of what the church can and does do. Um, you know, it cares for the least of these. It supports people. It gives them stability and structure and safety and these beautiful things. That's, that's what a healthy church looks like. Um, but it also requires letting go of a lot of different things. Maybe um, the extreme dogmatism, the extreme in and out, the extreme uh, exclusion. Uh, it looks like letting go of things like homophobia and transphobia. It looks like um, letting go of uh, purity culture, of you know certain toxic beliefs about afterlife and raptures and, and things like that. You know, so. I think it will look different for each church. It will look different depending on who's leading it. It will look different on whether it's possible or not based on who is changing within that church. You know, if people at the bottom are all changing, um, but you have a top-down structure and the people at the bottom don't vote on who's in charge or anything like that, it's just the pastor picks the next pastor. You know, it's, it's a top-down model. Um, that's not going to change until the pastor starts deconstructing, right? So you're better off leaving and starting your own thing more than, more than likely. Um, and so it's complex, it really is. But I do think that, that in this world, there is a need for conventional forms of faith um, to provide people with safety and certainty and security. Um, I strongly believe that, in fact. And I think anyone that has studied developmental theory, uh, which is the, the, the psychological um, uh, subset of psychology of how humans grow and develop, anyone that studied that will probably see that as well. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it that people really, really benefit from conventional faith in a lot of ways. The question is, will they keep growing up or will they stagnate at that stage? And I think many people stagnate at that stage. It was such a helpful and beautiful thing for them. And they, they see what their prior stage is what they would go back to without this. They don't see that there might be a future stage that they can grow up to and, and evolve into. Um, but I think so those are some thoughts on a healthy church. You know, there's so many different things we... We tried with uh, and experimented in our own um, church here in Manchester and, and eventually we decided that wasn't going to work very well. And, you know, I sat down with the leaders and said, look, is this something you're even interested in? Um, I used to be on leadership. I, I intentionally stepped out of it because it was, uh, you know, it just felt like hard for, for the community, for me to be such a vocal person publicly and, and also be in, involved in the leadership. I took a very back seat role and just maybe chatted with people and maybe more of a kind of consultant-y kind of like, here's some thoughts that you can think about. Um, but yeah, the leaders said, no, we don't want to do that. And I was like, cool, well, let's not do it. Let's, we'll go do our own thing. We don't need a church, but you do. And so 
you have a church that, that looks the way you need it. Um, and so we've built our own community and it looks different. Um, and, you know, we still talk about different things. You know, we talk about our faith journeys and our, our deconstructions. And there's people in the group that are very different. Some have more Eastern uh, ideas, a few atheists, quite a few agnostics. Some still hold to some sort of Christian ideals. Um, I think, I'm trying to think, yeah, there's a couple maybe. Um, and so, yeah, there's quite a, a broad variety uh, within that community. And it's going to look different for this community than it will for anything that you might find or do. Um, but you'll figure out things that might look healthy, helpful for you. And it might be within a church that changes and evolves, especially if you're a leader. Um, I have a few podcasts with different church leaders um, that have, you know, evolved and grown up and are trying to bring their churches with them or have started new churches. You know, uh, people like Keith Giles, um, Keith Giles, um, uh, Ollie Baker. And oh God, my brain, right. Keith Giles, uh, Ollie Hall, uh, Jay Baker, uh, Kathy Escobar. Uh, if you go and check out my podcast or my YouTube channel and, and search some of those names, these are people that are running in beautiful communities. You know, Kathy uh, Escobar, she, she runs a church around the concept of the 12 the step model, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous model. Um, and it's very, very much a, a beautiful thing that, you know, there isn't hierarchy, there isn't, um, yeah, there's, it's just, it's, it's a really fascinating uh, thing to explore. And so, yeah, check out the podcast with her. It was really fun talking with her about that and just brainstorming, gosh, how would this work? Um, it's possible. I really do believe it's possible for a church to be healthy. Um, all right. What are we doing for time? I'll, I'll do maybe one more. Um, Oh, which one should we do? Let's, let's look at this one. It, you know, someone asked, you know, was this all a waste of time? Um, and that's a big question, eh? Like my last question is a biggie, but I'm sure maybe you've had moments where you felt like that too. I know I did certainly have moments where I was like, have I just wasted years and years of my life? You know, so many years wrapped up as a pastor's kid. I was heavily involved in church growing up. I was heavily involved in church as a youth. I went straight into becoming a youth leader. Uh, I did young adults leading. I joined a ministry school. I ran uh, home groups. I traveled around the world and spoke in hundreds and hundreds of churches over the years. Um, you know, I gave everything for ministry. I, I, realistically, on some levels, I gave my first marriage uh, to, to ministry and to Christianity. Um, and it can be really easy for you to step back and start to go, what a waste of time. So much opportunity lost, right? I, uh, I never experienced being a kid. I never really experienced trying new things and exploring. I was so terrified that God would find me out of line and, and smite me, right? Uh, I never, um, you know, dated girls, kissed girls, you know, messed around. I never really thought about any of these things. I never, um, <clears throat> I never smoked weed behind the shed or, you know, any of these kind of fairly normal teenage things that now looking back, I'm like, that would have been a fun experience. I'm not saying I would have, um, I don't know, had a lavish life of uh, debauchery or whatever, because frankly, I'm too much of a baby and, and, and I'm, uh, I'm so scared of my own shadow, never mind um, anything else. And so I, I would never have been the, the kid smoking behind the shed. I would never have been someone that was in major trouble at school or anything like that. Um, but, you know, you start to question, oh, maybe I should try this. Well, maybe I wouldn't have married my high school sweetheart. Maybe I would have, you know, gone on Tinder and gone on a few dates and figured out who I actually like and what I'm like and, you know, what works for me. And then I'm in this marriage that I'm not sure I like. And maybe I, I settled. And, you know, all these things people start asking questions about. You know, you go, gosh, I've given 
thousands. I mean, some people have given hundreds of thousands over their life, millions in tithing and uh, church building projects and offerings and guest speakers that you're giving money to or whatever. And, and not to mention the missionaries you're supporting. And you've just thrown so much and you think, that's my kid's college education, or that could have helped with um, relief in Haiti or, you know, something that I now think is more important than a missions trip or, or you know, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, I could have supported uh, feeding the homeless in my town instead of building a better church building or whatever it was, you know. So we start to go, oh, I wasted all this money. And, and then you think, gosh, I spent hours in a, in a prayer closet praying every day. Um, you know, I've spent hours journaling and, and talking to God and asking God what he thought. And the things I could have learned in that time, I could have read books, I could have been with friends, I could have done different things. I've spent weeks and weeks of, of the year sitting in church meetings, right? I go on Sunday morning, I go on Sunday evening, I go to the youth group to help out on a Friday, I go to the prayer meeting on the Monday, I go to home group on the Wednesday. And between that and work, I've got no time at all to enjoy my family and to, um, you know, hang out with mates at the pub. And, and the truth is you probably enjoyed all that at the time, mostly. Uh, maybe at times you didn't, especially maybe towards the end, you started to dislike it or something, but you probably enjoyed some of this. But looking back, you think, what a waste of time. I could have done so much more with my life. And especially if you've come to a place where you don't believe in a God, um, there feels like this, this isn't even a transferable life component, right? So maybe if you go from being a, uh, a conventional Christian to a progressive Christian, you can at least kind of go, well, actually, I still believe in this God. I still believe in Jesus. They've evolved. They've grown. But so much of this time has been part of shaping me towards this. But, you know, it's really hard for a lot of us to come to terms with the things that we have, quote unquote, lost out on because we gave everything for God. We gave everything for Jesus. Um, and that's normal. It's really normal to feel like that. And in some ways it's, it's true, right? In some ways we have lost out uh, opportunities we, we might have had. But the truth is it's impossible to change the past and you wouldn't be the person that's regretting being the person you were if you weren't that person, right? If you hadn't spent those days in prayer closets, if you hadn't spent those days in church meetings, you wouldn't be the person you are today who's sitting there going, I regret that time. Um, and so we don't know what person you would be. We don't know what experience you would have, right? We talk about, um, you know, people in very dire straits really need the church and find support in the church and safety and certainty and security. We talked about in the last question, right? Um, so people that are maybe in criminal situations or in uh, really uh, disruptive and unsafe families, or maybe they have addictions, alcohol, narcotics, something like that. Um, they really need the church. Maybe you might have been one of those people, you know? Uh, and so there's perspective there that maybe it might have been uh, a hard uh, a hard thing to swallow that you maybe feel that you've wasted some of these years, but maybe you didn't. Maybe this path would have been a lot uh, less comfortable and less nice for you if you'd gone a different path. Now, I'm not saying it was comfortable and nice for you to be in the church. You know, hey, a lot of us walking around with religious trauma here was not comfortable, was not, was not great, was not perfect by any means. Um, but I'm just saying we don't know what a different path would have looked like. We only have the path we have. And, you know, I've, I've learned over, over my time um, processing these things is that wanting to change the past only causes us suffering. Um, you know, we can't change the past. The past is what it is now. And, and so um, part of this process is coming to terms with that fact, coming to terms with the fact that the past is unchangeable. It's the future. It's this present moment that we have power in. 
We have present moment power to change the future. And so the past is what it is. It's, it sucks, it's good, it's complex, it's a bit of both, it's a bit of everything. Um, and so we have to just walk forwards with it, right? And, and to me, the only time that I waste the past is when I try and ignore the lessons it has for me. And I try, when I throw out with the, the bathwater, the baby, right? So when I uh, lose great things I learned in that time because I hate the whole time. And um, the truth is, much of the time I spent in the church, while I resent a lot of it, while I feel a lot of it was really toxic, so much of it actually taught me really great life skills. I actually used to be, um, you know, many of you know, I'm slightly on the spectrum. I struggle a lot around people. Um, you know, I really struggle with sensory uh, stuff. There's, there's so many different dynamics to that. But one of the things that I really struggled with was people and, and getting on with people, understanding how people felt, um, you know, understanding my own emotions, understanding their emotions. And the truth is that the church really helped me with that. It, it, um, it exposed me to more people, but it did it in a really safe and friendly environment. And, and people were really kind and generous and, and gentle with me. Um, they were really compassionate when I didn't understand their emotions and they really helped me understand my emotions. And so actually in a lot of ways, I got more support out of that than I might've got elsewhere. I don't know if I'd just made uh, friends at school and gone to the pub with those friends, if they would have been able to help me in the same ways. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Um, I know for me, I was a quite a, a pariah at school, so maybe not, you know, I didn't have that many friends and some of the friends I had were deeply dysfunctional. <laughs> um, and so I personally look at that and go, you know, probably not. Um, but you know, we just don't know what the different past would have looked like. But what we do know is we do have a past that we need to look at and we need to grieve, um, you know, what was unhealthy, what harm was done to us. Um, what we missed out on is, is all healthy to feel regret and shame, uh, not regret, sorry, uh, not shame, regret and, um, and feeling a longing for that and feel grief for that. That's healthy and it needs to be seen and acknowledged a bit like we're talking with anger. Uh, look at that emotion and go, why am I so sad about this? Why do I feel so much regret? Feel that emotion, process that emotion, write about it, sit with a therapist, you know, uh, navigate it, allow it to shape you moving forward. But also look back at the past and go, what in this was helpful for me? And, you know, how do I redeem some of this stuff? And even if it was unhelpful, how do I redeem that? You know, I'm not going to let this uh, painful, hard thing that happened to me be wasted. You know, Rob Bell, um, years and years ago, had a great um, uh, series, uh, not series, a tour he did, and it was called Drops Like Stars. And it was about, su excuse me, it was about suffering. And uh, it was probably one of the most profound things I've ever had ex uh, expose, exposure to. I, I went through it probably so many times. I watched the video over and over and over again when I went through my first divorce, well, my only divorce, hopefully my only divorce still. Um, <laughs> um, I, when I went through a divorce, I was just absolutely broken. I mean, I just could not, what happened? And there was so many denials that I missed my wife and I was devastated that I hadn't worked out. But I also felt this, well, what a waste of my time. And I also felt I was still a little bit Christian and I felt, well, no one's going to want a Christian guy that's already been married, you know, and there was all sorts of different things. And I, I was wrapped up in my ego and my ministry at a time. And I was like, oh, people are going to stop following me. Who wants to follow a, a Christian minister that's been divorced? They'll think badly of me. And so so many things wrapped up in that. Um, but he helped me kind of see that um, it was what it was. And sometimes these things don't have a reason, um, but we give them a reason. And we, we look at that painful time and we look at the harm that was done to us and we say, that, that shit, that sucks, I hate it. But you know what? I'm not gonna let it go to waste. I'm gonna let that shape me and I'm gonna let that 
transform who I am today so that the person that I am tomorrow is not going to be that same person. And the people around me are not going to be the same people that could do the things that happened to me before. I'm not going to surround myself with the same people. I'm going to learn lessons. I'm going to teach the opposite truths. I'm going to, you know, like with the church thing, maybe you feel that purity culture is harmful. I'm going to speak out against purity culture. I'm going to help, um, you know, uh, mentor young people and, and give them great um, advice and help in navigating these complex issues without traumatizing them with really unhelpful uh, beliefs. You know, you can allow that stuff to shape you. Now, hear me right in this, okay? If you have a lot of um, adverse religious experiences or religious trauma, you want to be careful with this. I'm not advocating if you have been really harmed by the church that you go and spend hours a day trying to dig up, but where was it good? You know, like, please, please, please hear me right. This is maybe for uh, work that is much further down the line for you, if ever, um, but it's maybe work for people that haven't been re really heavily traumatized, okay? And, and so hear me right in this advice. I'm not advising that you go and sit and dig up old painful memories and sift through them for, you know, a tiny little jewel. You know, like the truth is, you know, we can look through the rubble for gems, but there's plenty of gems out there. So leave the rubble and move forwards, you know? So I'm not saying that you have to do this. I'm not saying it's advisable if you have your own trauma and adverse experiences. It might be the not very helpful for you. Um, but it can be really helpful for a lot of people. It was very helpful for me. Um, so I'm sharing from my own experience and it's been very helpful for other people that I've worked with over the years. Um, and so I know anecdotally for many people, this can be helpful as a process um, to redeem that past and to get over the, the regret um, and, and feeling that you wasted your time. So there are ways to navigate this, but I do think if you have religious trauma, if that sounds terrifying to you or um, it sounds good in all the wrong ways, uh, like going back to your abuser and, uh, and, it, and saying they weren't so bad after all. That is not what I'm advocating. And, and honestly, um, to be honest, if that's where you're at, I would strongly advise you not to be doing this work on your own anyway. You really want to um, work with uh, an expert. You know, you want to work with uh, a religious trauma expert. Um, a therapist in CPTSD, someone that's trauma-informed. Um, there, there's uh, trauma-informed coaches out there as well. If you can't find someone in your own state for therapy and, um, you know, just be intentional about checking, you know, they know what they're talking about. They, they seem genuine. They're good people. Maybe follow them online for a while and feel them out a bit. Um, Reclamation, uh, yeah, Reclamation Collective um, have a great um, uh, directory of trauma-informed therapists. Um, that's self-claimed trauma-informed therapists. So they haven't all been checked out uh, individually and guaranteed to be that. And so obviously use some um, common sense and some uh, just critique them and, and, and maybe check that they have the, the credentials they're saying they have. Um, but there's plenty of people out there that want to help you. You know, Laura Anderson has her Center for uh, Recovery from Trauma. I can't remember if that's the actual name, something like that. Sorry, Laura. Um, Brian Peck is out there. There's, there's some great people. Um, Andrew Kebs, uh, Kerbs, uh, who is Deconstruct Everything on Instagram. There's some amazing people out there that would love to help you. And honestly, this is a hard journey to do on your own if you're navigating some real trauma. And so be cautious with that. You know, please don't hear me say this and think I have to go back. You know, I, like it's, it's the same thing that if I, you know, I went through a very painful breakup with my divorce that happened, gosh, I don't know, six, seven years. No, five years ago, six, seven years ago, I, some time ago. Um, you know, I went through that and uh, it probably is, man, seven years ago now, probably. Um, 
you know, you're just like, oh wow, it's a whole other life. And I went through that and, and that was really hard for me, but it wasn't specifically uh, deeply traumatic. If anything, actually, the relationship in some ways was more traumatic for me. Um, and that's not an indicator on anything to do with my ex-wife. She's wonderful in every way, but just the process of things that I learned and, and things that were brought up. Um, but for me, it's been very helpful to look through that and to find the good in it and to kind of redeem that, that time in my life and, and, and not see it as a waste. That's been a helpful thing. But, you know, I've got a friend who was in an abusive relationship and um, his partner was very, very uh, physically and emotionally abusive. And, uh, you know, when he broke up with her, I wouldn't have sat down with him and go, well, let's think about all the good things in that. Because, you know, someone that's been in an abusive relationship does not need any, uh, any help with that, right? Most people that are in abusive relationships end up in a cycle of, you know, forgiving their partner, you know, overly magnifying the tiny bits of good to outweigh the huge things that are negative and problematic, you know, and things like that. So in the same way, you know, that I wouldn't ever recommend someone that had been in a, a domestic abusive relationship to go back and think of all the good things, unless I was maybe a therapist or something, that might be some sort of technique or something. I, I don't know, right? So don't listen to me on stuff like that. Um, I just wouldn't ever advise something like that. In the same way, you know, if you've got deep religious trauma, I would not advise that step. You know, I, it's more for... Uh, the average Joe out there that has maybe no trauma, maybe he's had some adverse experiences, but they, they feel like, you know what, I could probably go through that and it wouldn't be an unhelpful practice for me. Um, and so please bear that in mind. I know that was a huge disclaimer, um, but it's a really important disclaimer. And, and you know, this shows that the complexities and the nuances, you know, I, I can find a, a question that, and if I was talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, I'd kind of know a bit about your story. I'd know about how you're navigating that and I'd be able to give you a simple answer, maybe, Simple answer is probably a bit uh, much for me. I'm very into the nuance and the and the gray. So black and white answers aren't common for me. But certainly when I'm talking on a podcast, I've got to think about all these different types of people. And even within those different types, there's so much diversity in different ways that people might explore some of these things. And so, you know, you have to listen to you first. You've got to sit with maybe some of the advice or, or pointers that I've given and, and feel what feels right, what feels healthy, what feels good. If you have a therapist or someone that's really trained to walk alongside you with these things, sit with them. Maybe say, oh, I was listening to a podcast and it said maybe this would be a helpful exercise. I, I, part of me is thinking it might be, but part of me is wondering if it would. What do you think? You know, these are really important things for you to process, to navigate on your own. Now, I'm not saying you're on your own. I'm always here for you. And then there's many people in this community that are here for you that would love to listen and, and talk with you. You can message me on Instagram anytime and I would love to chat with you and support you and listen in any way I can. You can, uh, you know, join a whole host of amazing uh, online communities. There's a Patreon ones like for me and uh, Dirty Rotten Church Kids has one. There's Facebook groups like uh, John Steingard's uh, Wondrous Beings, uh, your favorite heretics have a great Facebook group there's lots of groups out there um, and so you know um, why did I bring up that you know, so my point I mean, you're not alone there's loads of people that want to rally around you and support you but in a sense you need to process some of these things on your own internally you what do you feel about this how are you going to navigate this that's really what it boils down to you my answers are irrelevant what I think about these questions is irrelevant. What's important is what you think about these questions. Um, and so I encourage you, sit with that kind of stuff. When you hear um, answers given to you in this community by anyone, by me, anyone else, 
sit and think about it, question it, critique it. You know, this journey of questioning and, 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 and uh, you know, critical uh, analysis and doubt, that hasn't ended, it's begun. You know, the, the, the journey of leaving faith is not the end of your, of your time of questioning things, it's the beginning of questioning things. And this is a lifelong process. And so please do that, please exercise that. You know, never think I know all the answers or anything stupid like that, because I really don't know all the answers. I'm making most of this shit up as I go along. I only can talk from my experience and from what I've uh, experienced and maybe some stuff I've researched or some expert I talked to. But even then, right? I mean, how much a game of operator is it, right? Where, you know, one person talks to another and they think, okay, I, they said that. And then they talk to another person and they talk to another. And before long, I'm giving absolutely useless information. So <laughs> bear that in mind as well. You know, I'm, I'm not the... Uh, the go-to guy that knows everything. Please don't ever think I do. All right, I think that's enough for today. Um, I'm trying to keep these Q and A's about an hour long and get you know five, six, seven uh, questions in there. Um, so hopefully that was helpful for you. Um, as I said, I'm always here in the uh, in the DMs on Instagram if you want to message me. I'm just at Phil Drysdale. Um, if you want to connect with other people that are going through this process, I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com, completely free. You can check if there's anyone in your area that's going through this and message them and see if you connect, see if you want to um, uh, meet up or anything like that. Now that most of us can meet up in some way, shape or form, now people are vaccinated and the world seems to slowly kind of be uh, uh, normalizing, maybe, I don't know. I don't know where you are in the world, but it feels like it's kind of getting more normal here. Um, if you want to join my online community, if you want to support what I do, I really value anyone um, who who supports me. You know, what I do is for free. Um, you never need to support me. I'm always here. I'm always happy to chat. I'm always willing to support you in any way I can. Um, but the reason I can do that and the reason I can do it for free is because there's some amazing people out there that um, give to me on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, 50 bucks. Um, whatever people uh, feel, uh, they would like to do to support what I'm doing to help me be able to release this stuff for free to um, to put resources in people's um, lives and and support people and talk with people as they go through this. I really am committed to doing that for free. You know, so many of us have been hurt by people in our conventional faiths that took advantage of us, that took our money for all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful reasons. And, and a lot of them just needed to pay their own bills, you know? But either way, you know, I don't wanna be that person. I don't wanna be the person that says, I will give to you if you give to me. Um, so everything is always gonna be free. But of course, I can only do that with uh, amazing people that, that support what I'm doing. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that does do that. It means the world to me, it really does. You, you've no idea. Um, you know, being able to do what I love and help people and pay the bills is a, is a huge deal. Um, and as you can imagine, this isn't uh, a huge bill earner, you know, people don't, don't make a lot of money, uh, you know, unraveling people's faith. Um, and so I really do appreciate it. And uh, I love all of you. So if you want to you uh, support me, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. You get access to our online community. We do monthly Zooms. We do regular audio calls and things like that. Um, but yeah, I love you all. I really appreciate you all. I know this is a hard journey you're going on. I know that there's so much going on right now and, and the world is a complex place. Life is complex. You've got your own stuff you're dealing with and deconstruction in the midst of it all. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff to be going through. And so you're doing great. I'm proud of you all. You will get there. Um, I really do believe that. And so hang in there and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.
If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free from talking to people for hours on end to producing resources and podcasts. Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There's never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace.